Okay, Bakerta, welcome back. So we are discussing today the role of authority. Um, very important discussion, something which uh, um, sometimes um, touches upon very sensitive topics when it comes to, uh, to today's life. Let's, uh, let's unpack this. This is the third part of a process of Psaq, and this deals with a lot of the basics of, um, of how authority works or doesn't work, the limits of authority in general. Some of the questions we'll try to address today are going to be, who gives authority? Who gets the authority? Um, is authority centralized? What about mistakes? And what do we do with different opinions? And what about today? So these are some of the basics we're going to have to try to try to address again. It's only an hour, so <laughs> you know we'll do as best as we can in the time that we have. Um, I want to thank Autumn and Bruce Mail who are sponsoring today's share. Just because, thank you, Autumn and Bruce, for 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 um, uh, elevating our learning today. Now, so before we start, it's uh, it's worthwhile thinking about. Um, just uh, perhaps tongue-in-cheek, they, they tell the story about there was a dispute had between four rabbis. And three of them felt one way, and the fourth one felt another way. And the fourth one was so felt so, so strongly about his, uh, his views that he said, you know, I know I'm 100% right, and God will prove it. So, they, so he, 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 he summons his, uh, his, his, best, his best plea, and, uh, and he says, if I'm right, it's going to snow today, and it starts snowing. So the other three say, you know, it's the winter, it can snow, you know, there's global warming, you never know what's going to happen. So he says, no, I'll, I'll summon a better proof. And, and uh, he, he says, if, if I'm correct, let the tree fall over, the tree falls over. They said, it's, it's the winter still, you know, it's a dead tree. And so then, then he says, if I'm correct, you know, let God intervene. Sounds like, it sounds like this, this joke came from a Gomorrah, right? Um, and, uh, and, he, uh, and a voice uh, a, 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 a emanates from the clouds saying, he's right. So, uh, uh, so he says, you see? So others says, yeah, well, that's just two against three now. <laughs> so you have to think about what, what the role of authority today is something which has changed as what the role of authority was. Oh, God says, okay, well, you know, let's, let's include God in the, in the count. But that we have to think about what is the role of authority and, um, um, and especially, especially today. When thinking about authority, it turns out that there are different um, d dimensions of authority in general. So for instance, there was a uh, sociologist called Max Weber who wrote um, in a 1922 paper, he described that there's three different, we'll call it silos of authority, um, the way he described it. Now it can be broken down much um, into many more sub-details, but the general, um, we'll call it headings that he had was traditional authority, charismatic authority, and legal rational authority. So, so traditional authority is sort of something inherited, it is because it was, so like, you know, the Queen of England, as an example, on our shalom. But like, you know, that, that, so that, 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 that trajectory, perhaps I would say, a lot of family structure, a lot of religion falls into traditional authority. It is because it was, it's the way, this is the way it always was. Um, charismatic authority is when you have a leader who's like, a person who sort of, you know, is able to garner and, uh, and uh, um, the, the crowd support. People love this person because of what they say, or what they don't say, or who they attack publicly on whatever social platform has just been bought. Um, but, uh, you know, th those kind of leaders that are, that, that, that are able to, to garner support in such a way because of who they are around their magnetic personality. And then there's legal rational, which is sort of systems that we put in place where we, we have, we've created positions where the position isn't the person themselves, but it's the position. And we have to respect the, the authority figure in that space because that's the way society is going to work. So as an example, on a governmental level, right, so we elect, there's elected officials, whether it's in different arms of the government, executive, legislative, um, and then there's also, I could on the ground, you'll have a police officer as an example, right? So that, it's not because you're respecting this person, you're respecting the position that that person represents, um, at least up till two years ago. And so, um, so th these, are, these are certain things that, that, that sort of have these, these basic, uh, basic places in societies. Now, we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, where does Judaism fall, fall into, you know? Is Judaism, thank you so much, is Judaism its own? You know, like, is Judaism simply traditional? Is it charismatic? Is it legislative or, um, or, um, or ra rational, rational, legal? We have to figure out where it lives in this. So let's start at the very beginning. So the, the starting point is, is the Torah actually talks about this um, pretty explicitly. The Torah to talks about a situation in which you find yourself confused. It's interesting, so the, the Torah says, Ki davar lamishpat. Person has a question. Who's the who is the audience of this this verse of this pasuk? Yeah, the Jewish people, right? But uh, singular uh, singular plural. Sounds like singular, right? Keep meaning you individual constituents have a question about mishpat 
And it could be all different areas, arenas of mishpat. It could be dam, dam, ladam, din, din, nega, nega. Those are different areas. That's, what the, the, that's the difference between isr v'heter. Um, and din is um, the monetary law. And nega, nega is tar, tar, um, tuma and tara. Whatever realm of halacha, that is, even ezra, chosh, mishpat, yaradeh. If you want to sort of speak, uh, speak in, in, the, in the way that it's des- uh, described in Shulchan Arach. Then one in that case, the very voice to Shorech, and usually there's a... Uh, a dispute, a dispute uh, that's surrounding us. You go up to the place that God chose. So you're presented in front of, and there's different options here. There's a priest, there's a Levite, and there's a Shofet. So it seems there's different areas of judgment. Um, not, not for now as to what their different roles are. And they are the people in these days. And, the, and, the, and you'll present the, the case in front of them. And you will listen to everything they say after presenting the case. So it seems that the Torah has given. Uh, that remember, this is, this is the divine authority giving a human being authority. Which human beings? Right, the, the, um, and which specifically, even more, so if one of us will narrow it down, and the very, at the very least, we're talking about those who serve on the Sanhedrin, those who serve in the Beis Hamikdash. Right, at the very, at the very least. Notice that the passage does not tell us specifically where this is going to be, but the reason for that is, as the Rama Memorial of Uchim says, because Hashem did not want to, to create too much of a uh, pre-knowledge of where Jerusalem was, whether for the Jews or the the non-Jews, the, the Israelites or the Gentiles around, as to where this is going to be. We know this is Yerushalayim, right? So this is the, the, the Torah is referring to the base of God in Jerusalem. John, hang on, hang on there. We haven't got any anywhere yet. Okay, so let, um, let's let, let's get a little traction. So the question is, is how extensive? How extensive is this, is, is this? Is it only those who are in Jerusalem? Because let's be honest, for most of Jewish history, we don't, have, we, don't have, we don't know of the sages in Jerusalem, right? We don't have the Sanhedrin. So how far does this go? So here, here, here the, 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 the Ramban actually suggests in, uh, in, the, in the, the next source, he says at the, the end of the first line, V'chosach lonu ha-kosuv hadin shenishma lebeistin ha-gadol ha-amed lifnei Hashem b'makom ha-sheyuchar b'chol ma-shemru lonu b'feiro shatari. If they explain the Torah in a certain way, whether it's through tradition, Meaning they say that we have the oral tradition, this is what it means. Or that wasn't encom- encompassed in the tradition. It was, it was a vacant space. And so they say, well, we're going to use the tools of expounding, the hermeneutical principles, to say that in this case, this is what you do. Right? You have to listen to their decision. Their That's tradition. The Torah that, uh, this is this is coming back to your point last week, Yossi. This is where the Torah, so to speak, gives over the control or the understanding of the Torah to the human mind. Which human mind? The, we'll call the top of the, the 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 apex of that pyramid of of teaching and understanding, which is to be found in Jerusalem. The Ramban seems to say it's very limited, at least in the understanding of the pasuk, to based in Agadol. That's really where where it lies. However, this has to be tempered by the fact that there seems to be another phrase in what we just learned which seems to be a little more liberal as to how, how broad this is. What was the phrase that, that, that implies there's a little more of a liberal interpretation? There's a more flexibility as to who's included in this? Did you catch it when we're, we're, we're looking through this Pesukim? Something here. Good. Good. So the phrase is, is the people in your days, right? So the, 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 the leaders, so to speak, the, the teachers in your day. So that gives a little more flexibility because you, it seems like it may not be simply just the folks that the Torah is referring to. We'll call first generation, perfect, everything's working. We're talking about, you know, even, even later on. In fact, the Gomorrah goes so far as to say, a very famous principle, where it quotes um, it, 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 the, the Gomorrah's Rosh Hashanah Dav Chofei. The, uh, the top line at the end of the line says, Ton Rabbanon, Lomo lonis parshu alalu. Why, when the Torah talks about the 70 elders in Parshus Baalosra, who Moshe Rabbeinu recruits because he's not able to manage by himself, and he includes in now 70 elders, already 72, but um, right, there are two of them remained in the camp, but um, these 70 elders that he recruits, we don't know who they are. Now, we probably do, some of them, right, but we don't, the Torah doesn't name them. So, Shaloi Yomar Adam, Ploini Kamoshev Aaron, Ploini Kanadav Aviu, Ploini Keldadu Medad. So the, the, the reason is because what will we say? We'll say, ah, well, you know, in those days we had, you know, <laughs> we had Moshe and Aaron. We had Eldad Umeidad, 
right? Today we have this, you know, this Shmerel who, you know, he's not, not much of a prophet, doesn't, doesn't have, you know, so, so if the Torah would have done this, we would have excluded, we would have excluded anybody else. That's what, what would have happened. So, so that, that doesn't work. So Gomorrah goes on to say, Omer, in fact, the Bosak says, um, Shmuel the Shmuel said to the people, Hashem Asher Asah is Moshe, is Aaron, Omer, Shmuel. And Shmuel has his preamble to monarchy. So he, say, he says to, to the people, listen, folks, you've had all these great judges. You've had all these folks. Who are those folks? He goes, Yerubal. The Gemara goes on to explain that. That refers to a person by the name of Gidon, who was a Shofet in, Shof, um, uh, Shoft in Perik Vav. There's Bedon. Who's Bedon? The Gemara goes on to explain that refers to Shimshon, the end of Sefer Shoftim. There's Yivtach. We know who that is. There's Shmuel. Right? So he gives an example of, of four Shoftim. Interesting. Um, the, the, it turns out that the first, uh, the, the two of them are more complicated than the other two of them, right? So Shimshon and Yiftach are a little more complicated than Gidon and Shmuel. So the, the Gemara goes on to, to explain on the top of Chofei and Beis in Rosh Hashanah. It says, Lomar uh, but the third line, Yerubaal Bedoro, Kamosha Bedoro, Bedon Bedoro, Ka'aron Bedoro, Yiftach Bedoro, Kishmuel Bedoro. And in fact, um, paralleling another apostle, Kamosha Aron Bechon, Shmuel Bechorei Shemoy, that there are going to be different judges, and some of them are going to be a little better, and some of them are going to be a little worse. But included in the, re- the requirement of listening is, is to listen to those who, who are on your day. This could be just for a normative reason, is you need, to, you need to have some sort of, so to speak, authority. There needs to be a, a structure of authority. So even if you have a, a leader, let's say like Yiftach, and Yiftach made mistakes, right? He made many mistakes. But, um, you know, when it came down to, to, to his daughter's the predicament about his daughter, he could have easily gone and asked Pinchas, and he didn't. You know, he felt too proud to go and speak to, Yiftach, uh, to, to Pinchas. And Pinchas was too proud to speak to him, and both of them were punished terribly for not having resolved that issue. So they really had, the, the, there was real issues, right? But, nonetheless, the requirement would still be to listen to Yiftach Bedorah, as Shmuel says. That's, uh, th- th- that's what it is. It means to say that not every leader is going to be, not every generation is going to produce a, um, a Moshe or an Aaron, but they're, they're included in this as well. And that's what Rav, Rav Haigon says in the Shi'iltos. He quotes in, in, in his commentary on Pashas and Yishpatim, Uvizman she'en be'ez amikdash kayam mi yishpot bein amcho Yisrael omalei ba'alei Torah that the, the, the discussion is what happens when there's no bad simulation. The only people you really have is those who have steeped themselves in learning of Torah. This is not that people do it as a, as a as recreation. We talk about people who have spent their entire lives doing this and, the, and uh, upon them rest the rest of the responsibility of, of Hora'ah. So it seems that the, that the Mepharshim say that yes, it is true that the, the, so to speak, the apex of where Torah, Torah decision making is rendered is from Jerusalem. But there seems to be more uh, beyond. So the question is, is well, does, is there a shift in authority? Meaning to say, what happens after the Beth is destroyed? Has there been any change? The answer is yes. That there's a very significant change. And here's, here, here, here is the, the change. Again, we come back to the Hakdama of the Ramam to the Yemishan Torah. A very, very important part of, of our understanding of how Torah works. And he says it's so incandescently clear. And this affects the way that our communities work today. The, the, this this, uh, this uh, nuance that the Ramam adds. Right, because remember, we have a little bit of a, a little bit of a stereo, we have a little bit of a contradiction as to is it by Yom Mahaim, any person, any any leader in any generation, or is it simply by Malkoma Ahahu in that place which is rendering judgment? Which one is it? Um, how do we deal with the, the times when it's by Yom Mahaim, where you have less than desirable leaders, you have a post base Amidash, it could be that they're happening at the same time, but post base Amidash as well. So the Ramam says um, that there was a, a, a seismic shift. In the, the in Jewish history, what is that shift? And I really would like to learn this together because it's so. This is such a critically important way of understanding how Jewish history operates. So the Rambam says in his introduction to Mishnah Torah, at the very end of his introduction, it's not so long, but at the end is where he addresses what happens post Gemara. He says, "V'achar Rav Ashi." So after Rav Ashi um, is based in, after his, so to speak, his his counsel, what Rav Ashi was was important because he was. So we, according to tradition, he is the one of the redactors of the, the, the Babylonian Talmud. Um, and himself were the people who were involved in the in the editing process. And then Israel had the, the the spreading of the exile went further. Israel went further abroad. They went to great distances and to isles far away. And therefore, as a function of distance, there was argument. Important rule about, you know, <laughs> how to resolve, resolve argument is probably in somebody's presence. 
right? Not via text from somewhere else. Okay, just a important point. Argument breeds in the space where there's no communication, right? Most of the people we disagree with, we haven't really met or had or given the opportunity of really listening to yet, right? If you think about it, we make judgments about elected officials based on the quotations of half a sentence they have in, uh, in, in the article we're reading, but we never even listened to the speech. We didn't even hear what that to say before we start judging them, right? So the distance is a great, a great way to create machlokes. So as distance increased, so did dispute. And it was in, impossible to reach different lands because of various different bands of whether it's officials or just simply highwaymen who were stopping their travel. And therefore, learning of Torah also diminished. There was no central gathering points where Torah was studied, learned, and proliferated anymore. Every city set up its own study halls. It's only places where people would, would focus on Torah. Through their study, that's how they would arrive at what Hashem, what Hashem wanted in their case. So let's say that you now have a based in, in Toledo, Spain. There was a very famous based in, in Toledo, Spain. And that basin says that in our society, it's important that we all don't do this. Or it's important that we all do this, right? We need to do this. So what happens in that case? What is the, what is the ramification? What is the extent of that, that gezerra? That enactment was only going to govern the locality under the jurisdiction of that basin. And since the, the centralized based in is no longer, you cannot force the people living in perhaps now Madrid, as an example, or if you want to go further afield, from let's say maybe even Spain to France to, uh, to uh, act in a way that was enacted by based in Toledo, as an example. And not only is it that, that, that you don't follow it, but it is not inappropriate if there is a based in, in a separate location, for that separate location to reach in and to issue a statement, a, 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 a so to speak, a, um, a decree, a, a way of acting in another community because they don't have the jurisdiction in that community anymore. Let's say you have one Gaon. Gaon actually is, a, is not just, it doesn't mean just a genius and as it's thrown around meaninglessly today. Um, but Gaon actually meant precisely in the days of the Gaonim referred to a Rosh Yeshiva, the head of an academy. And that academy had a certain jurisdiction. So there were Go'onim in, Bag, in, in the Iraq area, in Babylon. Um, and there, was, there were Go'onim in Eretz Israel. And there were Go'onim even later on a little bit in, um, in, in the areas are under Islam and um, in, in Spain as well, right? The, the, this, this, the, the, this term Go'on. So let's say a particular Go'on feels and reads through the Gomorrah and says, this is the way it should be done in a particular way. And somebody else gets up after them and says, I don't think that's the way you're interpreting the Gomorrah right now. What the, what's, what's happening? They're interpreting not the Pasuk, even the Gomorrah itself. In that case, it is possible for the second one to dismiss the words of the first one. You listen to the one who is more accepted, more, the logic is, is cleaner. This is referring to anything that was introduced after the closing of the Talmud 1500 years ago. When it comes to the Gomorrah, we assume that the Gomorrah was universal, meaning there was still centralized authority sufficient enough, without sufficient of dispute, that the Gomorrah itself is, in fact, the rule for everyone. Therefore, it cannot be that in a particular country somebody says, well, actually, you know, what the Gomorrah says is that, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, that they were incorrect. No, that, that what the Gomorrah says is 
is absolute. Now it happens to be there's a dispute in the Gemara, there's a way to resolve a dispute, depending on the halakhic principles of how we resolve that dispute, but you do not have the right to, to, to go back beyond 1500 years ago. Interpretations of the Gemara may be open to, 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 to interpretation, but not the actual Gemara itself. That was considered centralized authority until the point of the closing of the Gemara. And finally, why? Because the Gemara was accepted by all of Israel. There was no, um, we'll call it additional corpus of material. There was no other textbook that was, uh, that, that, that was in dispute. The Talmud included all of that and it was accepted. So what changed according to the Rambam right now, just to appreciate his understanding? According to the Rambam, is that centralized authority continued even post the Sanhedrin when there was a, we'll call it, enough of a proximity for decisions to be discussed and rendered and accepted by all of Israel. As the Jewish diaspora expanded, as Jews traveled further afar, whether it's economic reasons or whether it's because of persecution, whatever the reasons are, then the communication broke down. As communication broke down, the authority became more localized. And that's why you will start seeing the emergence in the times of the Rishonim, certainly, um, of now different communities and different traditions. Most notably, what's the most notable, no, notable difference that, that, that's, that, that's, uh, that's significant in what the Raman is referring to? Ashkenaz and Svart. So we start seeing European Jewry start gravitating in, in somewhat different directions, right? So we see Ashkenaz being the country of the German area, which again, it wasn't a country per se, it was more um, separate states, but the German area, um, including somewhat of the northern France, and moving down to Spain. And then you started having cross-pollination, like people like Rabbeinu Asher, who moved from Ashkenaz to Svarad. And then we start seeing the expansion of Svarad into North Africa. There's a lot of, and, and we, we see the continuation of this as well. And we're going to see later on the, 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 the advent of Hasidus, and it's, it's Nusach Svarad and its own Derech Apsak as well. But, but be it as it may, we start seeing the, 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 the silos of different parts of Judaism and the solidification of traditions. Now, now, Sfaradin and Ashkenaz don't argue on the Gomorrah. They argue on post-Gomorrah details, mm -hmm. right, in certain cases. Which is why there were many times, that we, looked, we looked at last time, that there were times where there was consolidation and expansion of Torah Shavalpeh. So when the Shulchan Aruch was written, the Ramah and, and Rav Yosef Kara essentially pulled together many of those traditions into one space before it expanded again, as well in an attempt to pull together, to centralize things. Um, once more, but the authority was more localized, which is fascinating. This this idea of local local authority is very important, which is why it's important that again, you know, in the last two years we've sort of seen this this advent of I found somebody who says whether it's a doctor or a rabbi or a right, but that's not how authority works, right? You you can't suddenly find somebody who says something that you like, right? And you've never met them before and have no relationship with them. If you have a question in a medical arena, you go to the doctor you've always spoken to or the rabbi you've always spoken to. But this notion of me finding the answer I want because I can Google search it, and the person has an MD or a rabbi attached to it, and that, that's, that's not what's being talked about here. Yes? I have a quick question. So like, if there's a formulation in, in the Bible, or, you know, you know, <coughs> right, for example, uh, uh, from the Pesach, when you do the Manishtan, right, there's a certain formulation that, Ashkenaz has a very different formulation that's found in the that's found in the Gemara. Rambam has, you know, from basically what is in the Gemara. Mm -hmm. You know, so if if, we're, if, you, if what you just said, you know, like we follow, you know, tradition first, you know, whatever is in the Bible, whatever we have, you know, in the Talmud, and whatever happened afterwards happened afterwards, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. changes in the Hagim, etc. Why, you know, how did then did it did it change? No, so it, it sounds to me, I, I, A, B, there's a little bit of a bias towards more of the Eidot Mizrach in this question over here. I don't know. But, but no, the truth is, if you read the Mishnah, the, the Mishnah is kind of sparse, meaning to say the Mishnah does talk about specifics. There's, the, there's Maskele Mignus, Masai Meshavach in the Haggadah, it talks about um, uh, the, the Bracha, there's two opinions as to what the Bracha looks at the end, it talks about the Aram Yavid Ovi and so on. But the, all the in-between was uh, the filler of that. Um, that, that was, that was de developed afterwards, or the traditions argue as to what was really happening um, beforehand. So, so the Ramam's version of the Agada, which is very similar to the version of the Agada that we have today, though, those, were, those were details of maybe how to paskin what the bracha looks like at the end, which is already in the Mishnah. I'm talking so, about the order, you know, the, the order of how, how I mean, I, I, there's many examples, yeah. I'm only giving more. No, you're right, so I guess a case by case, what do I have to do? Nobody, nobody just uh, the basic premise is nobody argues on the Mishnah or the Gemara. Right, that, 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 no, no. You may you may go like one of the opinions in the Gemara, 
right? Or you may, or you may understand what the Gemara meant, but you, nobody's ever saying, I'm going to, you know, that was very nice and I'm, I'm going to introduce my 2.0. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. But we, we have to do that case by case. Um, so the question really uh, I just wanted to address is like, okay, so what about mistakes now, right? So how, how do mistakes work into the system? Because, so, you know, human beings, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the condition of being human means to say you make mistakes. Now, some people happen to be more human than others, I've noticed. <laughs> but generally speaking, um, you know, human beings naturally make mistakes. Um, and, so, and so how does the, the idea of Hashem giving the authority to human beings, and certainly as there's a, a, a decentralization of authority, you're going to ultimately end up with lots of mistakes. So how does that work? Precisely. So, does the Torah reckon with us? So, if I, you know, if I were writing a, re- a religion, right, and I was writing the canonization of that Bible of that religion, I would say, no, no, they're all perfect, right? I would say that's fantastic. They're all going to say the exactly right thing. Listen to the priest, the high priest, or the, uh, upon his temple, and everything um, he say he saith is. So that's that's what I would have done, which is what a lot of religions did do, right? Um, but that's not what Judaism actually did. Judaism recognizes the human elements of, um, of this. And so the, the, the Torah talks about mistakes all the time. In fact, if you think about it, most of the Torah is talking about mistakes. Right? The Torah isn't a very flattering you know, description of the, of the nation of Israel's history. A lot of it is mistakes and recovering from mistakes, um, which is a very, real, um, a very real perspective. In fact, you know, like Moshe Rabbeinu is about to send the nation of Israel into, 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 into Israel. I mean, how many times does he tell them that they're going to make a mistake? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Just give them a chance. But the point is, yes, they're going to make mistakes. But the, the question is not about Israel per se, it's more about the leadership. So if the leadership is supposed to be rendering decisions, these decisions are supposed to govern our lives and make the way that, 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 that and make us to make immense sacrifices about our style of life, then why, what about mistakes? So the first thing is the Torah recognizes. So as an example, the, the Torah talks about the, the, the uh, korban chattas. So korban chattas is a sin offering for doing something even by mistake, because your, by mistake is a, a, a revelation of what your basic latent um, subconscious perspective is about that item, because you don't make mistakes about really high stakes issues. And the Torah talks about there's four categories of you know, people who make mistakes. And one of them is an individual. Okay, we get that, for, we take that for granted. But what about the rest? The other one is about a nasi, that's the president, the political leader. There's a mashiach, a coin mashiach, that's the coin, the coin gadol. And then there is um, and Parim Dalash Sibo when the Sanhedrin makes a mistake. These are all explicit in Vayukra Perik Dalad, right? So built into the system is how to recover from mistakes. And the Parim Helem Dalash Sibo, just to give you a sense of how significant this is, that's when the Sanhedrin renders a decision on a high stakes issue, which if you were to transgress or amaze it, you'd be a Chiv Kores, right? That's <laughs> a very high stakes decision. They make a wrong decision, most of Israel follows it, and they have to bring a Korban. So the, the Torah understands there is, a, there is the possibility of a mistake. So far, so far that when it describes a nasi, it says asher nasi echta. When a um, a political leader will make a decision, when the, the king, so to speak, will make a, will make a, a indiscretion, and the the Gemara famously da- learns out in in Meseches Horios, ashrei dor shenachti nasi echta. Praiseworthy as a generation where the leader will make a mistake, which doesn't mean to say it's good for leaders to make a mistake. But let me say. It's good for the leaders to admit the mistake. Today, not a single person admits a mistake. Today, nobody ever made a mistake. They revise what they say every two minutes, and they all explain and justify. It's it's ridiculous. It's shameful, right? You know, you have a person who has a particular uh, political perspective, and then they decide to run for another office, and suddenly their perspectives suddenly sound a lot more like the party they're running than what they said, you know, five years ago. But no, nobody nobody admits those kind of things. But when it comes to the Torah, it's Ashrei Dar Shenasiyachta. That praiseworthy as a generation that the that the, the Nazi brings his korban and is re- willing to recognize his actions. Now, notice by the way, out of the four of the three leaders of the four categories of the korban chattas, it refers more to the political leader than the Sanhedrin and the the Ashrei. This 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 statement of sort of inevitability of Asher when not if. And also Ashrei, praiseworthy, is relegated more to the political arena, arena. And it's worthwhile thinking about why in the political arena there's more reason to um, for for sin. Yes, Jay Hoda. Um, is that uh, answer to that question you just posed for the possible I didn't ask a question. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, but you want to make a comment, yes. Yeah, an It's a, a, good, a good option. I would, I would I advise you, this, Rabbi Sachs actually has a beautiful article on this about um, leadership, leadership failing, and he talks about four reasons as to why political leadership is more prone to mistakes than religious leadership. Not to, not to exonerate religious leadership, but it's worthwhile reading the article in general, just to sort of uh, to the, the complications of it. 
Because you I'm gonna let me let me get a little attraction, okay? I'm sorry. I just want to I want to just uh, move, move into uh, into it, but it's really worthwhile to read that article. It's an excellent excellent rendition. We just don't have the time to to cover it right now. I actually just uh, just on on that topic does remind me of a really powerful um, episode that occurred in the 1960s, um, where uh, um, Levi Eshkol was the prime minister of Israel. And if you re- if you remember, if you read, if you uh, uh, have a perspective on it, Levi Eshkol, he was a very um, self-effacing, he was not a, you know, certainly not a charismatic leader. He was not a leader who you know, walked in the room and, you know, garnered support from everybody because of his fiery brimstone, brimstone speech. But he ultimately, through his tacit leadership, he was able to guide Israel through the Six-Day War, right? Even though people thought that he was not the right leader at the time. And Menachem Begin begged him to step down for, to, for David and Gurion to come back. He, he refused and he held the course. And he was, thank God, thank God he was able to make the important decisions as was necessary. But uh, the, in the 1960s, before the 1967, the Six-Day War, there was a particular time where he, was, he visited London and he had to present a speech in front of a number of you know, pro-Israel, all the, you know, the equivalent to the federation leaders and community leaders in London. It was a very big dinner to raise money for Israel bonds. And, um, and his new speechwriter was a man by the name of Yehuda Avner, wrote a book called The Prime Ministers. And uh, Yehuda Avner was uh, born in England um, and was now newly tasked to write, be the speechwriter for Levi Eshkol. And so he writes the speech as to what's going to be appropriate in this dinner at this, uh, this particular setting. And, um, and uh, Prime Minister Eshkol has arrived in England and he hasn't had a chance, of course, to look through the speech because his schedule is unbelievable and the, 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 the requirements upon him are, are, are unimaginable and they an hour before the dinner so he sits down in the hotel room with um, with his, his speechwriter and he starts looking at this and he and he and he starts he says why all this fancy language like this is ridiculous he starts looking through and he crosses this out and he writes out he says he said he and he says in Yiddish you gotta you gotta speak like me or you're not you know I don't have this job you know you gotta like you know this is too flowery all this nonsense all this accolades I just tell it as it is so that he starts going through the speech and he gets halfway through the speech and then he's exhausted, and he's sitting there on the couch, he falls asleep. Right in the middle of this, he was exhausted, right? And so, Yudhavinen didn't know what to do, you know, <laughs> wake him up, not wake him up. So he gave him a few minutes, he woke him up, and then he says, he wakes up and he says, I must have been sleeping. And he says, he says okay, so let's, let's work on this. And then somebody comes in and says, the dinner's starting. Right, so he has to go out to the dinner, they walk in, and there's you no, know, how do you can imagine this, dark, dark hall, hundreds of people, people paid lots of money for all these seats to be, to be at the dinner, and the Prime Minister of Israel has walked in, this is the moment they've all been waiting for, and, uh, and the Prime Minister gets up there, and he starts re- reading his speech, you know, and it's, you know, they haven't had a chance to even retype it, because, you know, all, all the scribbles and the things, and so, and he gets halfway through speech, and everything's going well, and then he gets into the second half of the speech, which he hasn't reviewed yet, right, and he reads, and he reads this paragraph, and he talks about how every immigrant to Israel, remember there were 800,000 Jews who were, who were exiled from Arab lands. That was the real, um, the, the real uh, part of the real uh, um, refugee crisis, which nobody talks about today. 800,000 Jews absorbed into a fledgling country with a, an economy on the brink of collapse. And, uh, and, he, and, he, and the paragraph says that every immigrant who comes to Israel with their families is, a, is, is an incredible financial tax on, on, on Israel. We have to support them. And he gets into the paragraph and there's a, there's a silence and he looks on and he says, what I just said was incorrect. In front of us, he looks at he looks at Yudavne. Now you can imagine there's a silence in the hall. He says, what I said, what I just said was incorrect. He says, every immigrant that comes to Israel is adds an incredible amount of life, diversity, and culture to our country. <laughs> right? Now, truly, truth be told, it would have been better for him to say it's a tax because he was collecting money for Israel, right? That was why the speechwriter put it in there. But in front of hundreds of people supporting Israel whose checkbooks were out. Maybe Eshkol said, <laughs> that's not true. And if you think about that, that you know, with, all, with no, no charisma, none of that, that that's, the, that's the, you can have a leader who's willing to do that. That's leadership. That's leadership. Right? Asher nas That's precisely what the Pasuk was talking about. In public. Right? So the, the Torah does reckon with us, and we see those kind of people. We see those kind of, but let's dig it a little further. The, the, where it gets a little, here, here's where it gets uncomfortable for us. Because the Torah actually directs us, if you remember the beginning, let's go reverse back to the beginning of the notes about the, the right? when you don't know what to do. So the, the Torah had said, if you reverse back to the beginning, page 2, we stopped at Pasuk Yud, uh, um, the end of Pasuk Yud. But let's get to the, the hard part. Pasuk Yud Aleph. Based on the Torah that they say you should listen to them, that means they're not based on their great motivational speaking skills, but based on the, the, the ideas that they're presenting, that's what you need to do. Loi sasur, you may not veer. Mikol asher yagidu l'cha yamin small. 
You may not veer right or left for what they say to you. And Rashi says on this, famously, coming back to where we are, yeah, I mean, where, where we just left off, Rashi says on this Pasuk, in Pasuk Yeralev, Yomin al yomin shu small v'al small shu yomin. That means to say that even if the Torah guidance is going to be, when they say go right and it's actually left, or they say go left and it's actually right, and certainly if they say go right and it's right and go left and it's left, then you have to listen to them. That's, that's mind-boggling. What does that mean, Rashi? What is right? You know it's wrong. You're supposed to listen. How far does authority go? Now the truth is Rashi is actually quoting a Medrash Halacha called the Sifrei. And the Mishra is a little toned down. If you go back to the original source, take a look at the next source. This is Ivra Yomin Nusmol. I feel nirim be'inecha al smol shu yomin ba'al yomin shu smol al Even if it looks like to you, meaning in your narrative of it, it looks like it's incorrect. There's an expectation of submission to what they, what, 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 they, they, what, what, what they think. So, but even though this is toned down, right? So it's not that you know it's wrong. It seems that it's wrong. That's still a big ask. A, the question is, is why? why? What, what, shouldn't there be a, so to speak, a, a way of, of dealing with this? No, the truth is there is. The Gemara says if you know it's wrong, you have to present it and, uh, and, uh, uh, and so on. But what, what, what does it mean? So first thing that is worthwhile noting is that the example the Torah chooses is not night and day, heavens and earth, you know, north and south. Do you notice that? It uses right and left, which is fascinating because right and left is really depending which way you're facing. Right? <laughs> is that interesting? So I saw actually a beautiful picture that says that, that, that that's precisely the point, is that what happens is it's like, it's like the fellow who's getting on the train and he realizes that he got on the wrong side of the, you know, on the, wrong side of the tracks, you know. And instead of going to Warsaw, now you know, he's going to Paris. So he says, oh, that's not a problem, I'm just going to, I'll switch, I'll, I'll face the other direction. So he turns to the other side of the car and he sits down. That <laughs> doesn't really help you, right? So the, the truth is when it comes to right and left, I saw a beautiful explanation is that sometimes we say to ourselves, is that yes, no, he, he, the, the, what, was, what I was just taught is clearly left, and he's saying it's right. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I'm not, this is clearly. So this is, yeah, well, the part, part of the problem might be is you might just be facing the wrong way, right? I mean, you say in our, it might be absolute to us, but it's not necessarily absolute. That's, uh, that's part of what's being conveyed to us over here. There's an element of fluidity, and it's in that element of fluidity where authority can, is allowed to exercise itself because our orientation as to what is right and, right and left might actually be different as, uh, might be different as well. But it goes further. So what, what happens if that, so there is a mistake? So let's say, let's say it, it's, it's, it's about a particular issue which is, which, uh, which, um, is, uh, is uh, um, voted upon, is an a, a, a idea or a topic is rendered a particular decision. So, but surely there could be a place for mistakes. So there's two ways of looking at this, why the Torah would do this. Because you could just say what well, the Torah should say. If you feel it's wrong, then just go after, you, go after, go after your postmodern narrative and, and it should be fine. Just, just, just do, what, do, what, do what feels good. No, no, trust your instinct. So the, the, the why, why is the Torah demands of us to, to, to submit to authority in certain cases. So the, there are two ways of looking at this, many ways of looking at this, but two ways I think that are worthwhile. One is spiritual, one's pragmatic. Spiritual comes from a very um, strong comment, and this, this, this comment requires digestion. Um, so the, the Ramban says this in multiple places, but I think where he says it most explicitly is in the notion of what's called kasha zomam. There's, there's a process whereby you have contradicting witnesses, one witness says X happened, the other one says you can't possibly say X happened because you were elsewhere. And the Torah instructs us to listen to the second set of witnesses, thereby making the conspiring, the initial set, um, suffer the punishment of what they had intended to put a, put a place upon the hapless victim that they were, they were persecuting. Right? That's the, the notion of Kasha Zaman. But the Torah says, the Gemara learns from this, the tradition, the rabbinic tradition is, is that Kasha Zaman veloi Kasha Asa. So that means to say like this, let's say they conspired. Uh, they, 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 they said Bill was a murderer, and they, and they fabricated the entire case, and then Bill, uh, and, uh, and it goes through, and Bill's, uh, and Bill's stoned. <laughs> he's, he's out. And then comes the second set of witnesses and says, actually, you were in Hawaii that day, so you had no right to say this. So you should say in this case, wow, we should kill him twice now, right? Because it's even worse. They, they, not only did they conspire, but they affected uh, um, a, essentially a, a evil sardine. But on this person, the Gemara says in that case you don't you don't uh, apply kashizam. There's other things that happen to them, but not kashizam. You don't apply this idea of conspiring witnesses. You say why? Surely it should be a culture, and it should be a logical build-up. This is the beginning of Gemara Makos. Why don't you say kashizam v'kashirasa? Why not as as happens? The Ramban says for two reasons. He says number one is is that the, is that Hashem protects innocent people from dying. 
right? It's through the process of justice. <coughs> through the process of justice, it's not going to be that a person who's innocent will die, which means that it may be that Bill was put to death, but there's probably something else on Bill's portfolio from somewhere back, from somewhere which we don't know which was happening, that, that we do, we, we're, not, we're not aware of, right? Now, we're not going to prognosticate that, but Ramban says you can rest assured that when, a base, uh, when, when this happens, that's the case. And then he goes further to say, this is towards the end of the Ramban over here, um, he says about four lines in the bottom, V'oid, Shalaiten Hashem ha-shoftim ha-tzadikim ha-imdim lefanov lishpoch damnaki. Hashem would not allow the judges to spill innocent blood. God sits among the judges. Hashem is going to agree with them. So not only is Hashem would Hashem protect a hapless victim, Hashem would also protect the judge from rendering something which is not correct. Which means the answer number one is, is that it may look like a mistake, and it may be that you have the evidence that this was a mistake, at least in the legal proceedings, but there's something else going on over here. There's something else happening. Now, this case, you could isolate, because you could say like this, okay, well, that's referring to Beis Nagadol in Yerushalayim, when they're rendering, and it refers to a case of capital punishment, not a simple monetary law or social norm, right? You, you could, there's, there's multiple reasons why we could limit the scope of the Ramban's idea, but the idea itself does have a trickle-down effect, and that is that there is an element where there, that, there, that Hashem gave to the human mind uh, and the, those who deserve to be included in this, that would exclude a lot of Bate Dinim today. Um, those who deserve to, it's not a game, right? We're talking about transparent authority that's respected and is not just games being played. But when there's transparent leadership, real Torah leadership that's being, that, that's being given and, the, and it's, it's, it's clear and abundantly clear to the community that there, and there is jurisdiction and it's accepted jurisdiction in that case, that there is certainly an element of Hashem working through the human, uh, human mind, even if it seems like this doesn't make sense to me, and I know, and I, right? So there, there, this is number one, is this idea. Now, we, we, uh, we in, to, in, in to, to the 21st century, struggle to swallow that pill, right? That's it. How could it be that Hashem really, I know for sure that, okay? The, the, the Ramban saying is maybe there's a little more than what we know. That's number one. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Does the Ramban say it? He says it. Is it possible it doesn't apply to this particular case? Possible. But it, this, this idea is, 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 is important. The second is a much more pragmatic idea. And the Remesever Achinoch says, and this is so important, he says like this, he says, look, Mishosha Mitzvah, the idea of listening to the Chachamim, he says, If you haven't noticed, people just have different opinions about things. Right? Nobody's ever going to agree with anything. If everybody was to follow the intuition, and everybody's sitting there interpreting the, um, how, to, how to do Judaism. You know what? <laughs> Today you would have 18 million different Torahs, right? Because every Jew would have their own interpretation of, the, of this whole business. And there'd even be even more machlokas than there even is today about how to do, uh, how to do Judaism. Atas the Torah, come Torahs. He says, and therefore, every generation, we have to listen to the sage of that generation. And it might be that you don't, just, uh, don't agree, and it may be that it seems that it's actually better to do it that way and not this way and so on. And there's lots of gray areas. But there has to be a centralized leadership. There has to be an authority. Otherwise, well, things don't work. It doesn't work if everybody has their own interpretation. You know, when, when decisions are made about education, as an example, right? Broad strokes on education. There's, there, there, are, there is a cost for every decision that's made. You say, we're not going to accept, you know, technology at all, right? In, in, in a particular school. We understand there's a significant reason for that. And there's going to be a cost for that. Because you're not going to talk about it. You don't educate those who have it anyway. Right? But if you don't, right, every decision is a cost-benefit. Now, I think and I believe, and yeah, that's correct, but we have, to have a, we have to have an executive decision made. And so the Torah gives us a way of understanding how the executive decision is made. And in each community, there has to be an a, a authority. There has to be, a, so to speak, an endowed authority who is a, who, who's, who's given the opportunity to, to, to render a decision. Yes, and there's going to be costs. In yes, it's imperfect, but it has to be pragmatically, otherwise we'll never exist. This is a very basic uh, principle, and this, uh, this uh, is something which I think governs us today. It reminds me of the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol comes out of Kodesh Gadoshim, 
Adam Kippur, what's, and he has this beautiful prayer, which we say in the in the the, the, the mm -hmm. master, if we have a chance to get up to it. But it's really worthwhile to 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 read it and do it slowly. And at the end, how he prays, Akash Baruch please don't listen to the prayers of wayfarers. Why wayfarers? Because it comes onto Sukkot, and everybody in Israel really needs rain. But you know what? Guess what? Fred's on the on the journey, and he forgot to bring his umbrella. God, please don't let it rain. <laughs> and in the meantime, all the farms around him desperately need rain. The the, the economy and the agriculture and the it, it, it desperately needs this. And and now Fred is davening with his you know his his tears streaming down his face because he doesn't want to get his his pants wet um, on the way to his important meeting. So the Kohen Gadol says, "Don't listen to Fred." Right, because what Fred says may be right for him, but it's not right for the country. And that and that's, comes down to the same thing over here, is there are going to be many opinions, but not every opinion counts when it comes to policy. It, it can't. It doesn't work. And the Tivoli Torah prescribed how policy works. Now, you could debate who is warranted to have to, 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 have to make these decisions. Who is allowed to? What happens if, if, if they should be better informed and there can be a discussion? There's no question. But there has to be policy because otherwise it turns into fragmentation and everybody has their own opinion and it's not working. What about, what about let's dig a little bit deeper. So let's say on a more, more, most, most basic level. So a person wants to, wants to, uh, to get an opinion in, 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 Torah, in, in Torah, not in social, you know, um, perhaps the social arena, but precisely in Torah. And they, and, they, and they get an opinion and they say, I don't know about this opinion. <laughs> so I'd like to find out, maybe, maybe there's another, maybe I can get a second opinion, right? Um, is, uh, am I allowed to do that? The Gemara says in Avodah Zarah, um, it says, Tanu Ravonan, Hanisha Lechacham V'nit V'timei Lo Yisha Lechacham V'yitahir. Lechacham V'osar Lo Yisha Lechacham V'yatir. Not allowed to do it. If you get a Chumrah, if you get, if you, the, what's rendered is a, uh, is, a, is a particular decision, you are not allowed to ask another sage, um, for, for another opinion, right? Um, I get this all the time. <laughs> I get, I get I, you know, it's, for me it's an amazing thing because, you know, like, I, and, and uh, I get shilas all day and, uh, you know, some shilas could be an open, closed shilas. It's, 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 it's simple. And some could be things which require hours and hours and hours of research, right? Um, and I think we're used to, we, what we, we used, we used to, to, to doing is, like, it's, I think it's been the transition from, you know, the days of maps to the days of phones, you know, in a certain sense. So in the days of maps, before you had a, you know, like you made a significant journey, what would you have to do? You have to print out the map, you have to memorize the crossings, you know, the names of the junctions, and you'd have to figure it out. Even in MapQuest, right? You'd still have to print out the sheets, right? But now you don't have to plan anything because you just get in the car, and as you're reversing out the driveway, you hit ways, and that's it, right? So, you, so there's been an expect, there's an element of like, oh, it, it'll all work out because I'll, so, you know, Psyche has also moved in that direction as well. It's like, I'm in the store now, <laughs> right? And I need to figure this out as I'm here. But, but yes, but I'm actually in the middle of a meeting, right? And I'm meeting till the end of the day. And your question requires two hours of research. So I, I, I'm very, I would love to help, but I, I need the time to do this because if I, you want me to treat it seriously, you need to treat me seriously, right? So there, there is an element of the time that it takes, it takes to this. But what is fascinating to me when I see these, uh, sometimes the, the way these things unfold is, is like, I'll spend those two hours of research, and then I'll respond, and they say, oh, no, I, I, I got an answer. <laughs> Which meant that it wasn't just me who was being sent a message to. It was, a, it was like, you know, like sort of like, you know, flair. <laughs> whoever, whoever, whoever comes first, right, or um, is uh, with a favorable answer is going to, that's, that's not the way things work, right? That's just not the way that, 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 that things work. Or, or, or I, will, I, will, I will say, give, issue a, a decision. Again, I'm, I'm not the decider. I'm just rend I'm telling you what, what has been decided on this. I'm, I'm, I'm conveying the information. I'm not sitting there with my you know, white wig and my gavel, you know, sitting there. But let's say I'm conveying what Jewish tradition says in this particular case. And then somebody will send me, send me a text and say, and say, what about this? And then they'll send me like something that's on the internet floating around about an outdated decision by some rabbi I've never, and he's never heard of ever in life. Um, who says something different? I'm like, I, I don't know. You, you're welcome to follow that. <laughs> Do what you want. But if you ask me, like, I'll tell you what. I, so the Gemara says, Are you allowed to ask an, a, a second opinion? The answer is no. You, there's, there's a process, and you have a particular person you consult, and you consult them for the for, for things, right? So, right. So the question is why. So what's what's the logic in this in, in this in this law? So two, two options. Rash, Rash, Rashbo, Rav Shlomo Ben Aderet, living in Spain. Um, 
interleader Spain, um, um, does, uh, um, says that there's two possibilities. The first thesis is a minority opinion is, is an issue of covert. It's, it's, not, it's disrespectful to go behind somebody's back and start playing games. He says, but if that's the case, then it, then it would be is you just have to uh, consult. And you say, listen, you know, I, if you don't mind, I, I know that you meant this and you spent the time, but I, so you could circumnavigate that. But then the Rashbos says the second possibility, and he says, no. He quotes the Rav, 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 Rav he says, the second line, Shekoso Shein Roshai Ve'enlo Heter Kamo, Tekevon De Osru Isura Revia Olaya Ve'nase Chaticho De Isura. That in fact, once the decision has been rendered, rendered on a particular situation, a gray area, right? Not a closed book. Not, it's, not, it's not like something which the Torah talks about, you need a decision to be made, but something where there's a gray area and a decision needs to be made, right? And a decision is made and it's Osur, as an example. In that case, this becomes Osir, right? It, it's no longer, it's not, it can't, it's what's called the Chayfetz, the actual item itself is, is now imbued with Isser. You can't now just suddenly wave a wand and get rid of that, that, that Isser um, in, terms of, in terms of authority. The Rashbos says there'll be two, two, two limiting clauses to that then. So what happens if, um, if it is not something which is referring to an item, it's referring to a course of action then, right? So if it's a course of action, then this law wouldn't apply in the same way. Does that make sense? Because according to Ravid, it's about the item itself, you know, the spoon, right, the dishwasher, the bowl, is now Asura Mutter, so you can't re-ask about it, right? But if it's about a course of action, it might be different because there's no, nothing, so to speak, which the decision affected, is the one, the one, the one possibility he says. Um, I'm sorry. And, yes. You're asking, should I do A or B? Yes. How is that different than the If I'm asking to do, so that's a Hanhaga, that's referring to what I should do. So there's not been a chalois shem isser, if you want the te- terminology, right? There's not been a isser which has now affected a particular item. So there might be more flexibility, says the Rashbah, in, in terms of this law than before. In addition, another, another aspect of this which is debated is what about heter? What happens if now, why would you do this? I don't know, but some people do. But let's say uh, you, you get opinion number one is it's mutter. So, I was hoping, <laughs> or maybe I'm asking to spot somebody else, right? But I was hoping to have an Isser, so I'd have to, to uh, by the way, never ask a Shaila on behalf of somebody else, right? That's it's sort of, I want to make sure that somebody else is, um, is Asura Muta. No, um, but, but so, so let's say you are, would there be, would Heter, is Heter a Chalos Shem Heter? You can say, do you say the item becomes Muta, but Etzim, you can't ask again, is a debate. In Halacha, the way, the, the way that we Paskin, just while going through the Ramon, the Shachar right, right now, is, is, that, is as follows. Um, if a question is asked about a particular decision, if a question is asked about a particular decision and it certainly affects an, uh, an item, whether it's heter or mutter, one's not allowed to ask a second time if one asked in a serious way and a psak was, was issued. However, if the, if the, the decision was made, there are two exceptions. What's called Dvar Mishnah, a person made a decision which is clearly against basic texts. It was a mistake and it was an obvious mistake which is in text. Then that opinion can be reversed. By, by somebody else, or if the person, the second person being asked is Godol Mimeno, is a, a clearly a senior accepted um, authority, then in that case they could overturn the opinion of the first. But uh, barring that, um, when it comes to asking a question, one has to be careful. What happens if one's not asking, I, I for the sake of time, um, if one is not asking a question of a particular item, but let's say one is trying to do the research and there's a number of opinions on a particular topic, so what do you do in that situation? Gets, get, it gets complicated. The Gemara says, um, the continuation of the Gemara in Avodah Zarah, on Davos Zayin, it says, How you shnaim, if there's there, there were two, Echad metame ve'echad metar, Echad oyser ve'echad matir. Imoya echad mahem godol mechaver, Bechochma v'minyon, Holach acharav, V'imlav, Holach acharav machmir. So if, um, if you know one is a greater authority, you go after the greater authority. If you don't know who's a great authority, you go after the more careful one because you want to hedge, you want to be careful. Rabbi Yishob ben Korcha, Amer b'shel Torah, Holach acharav machmir, b'shel soifrim, Holach acharav mekil. Rabbi Yishob ben Karcha would say that it depends in which arena of halacha it is. If it's biblical halacha, you go Safik, Safik Daraisa, the Chumra. If it's in the rabbinic realm, you go Safik Rabban Lakula. So how do you put these together? What's the triage? Um, this happens to be a debate, a, d- a debate between the Rambam and the Rashba. We don't have the time to, 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 to investigate it right now. But the general uh, understanding is the following, is that a person needs to do their own, their own research. So we should be educated. We're, Judaism is about ideas. We're all learning. So we need to research and do, and do the research ourselves. That's number one. Let's, let's learn all the opinions. Let's learn what's going on. Number two, if there's, a, if there's uncertainty, one should ask one's own Rav. One should ask one's, the person that one goes to regularly to, should be the, the destination um, as well. If there's no, uh, in this case, it's not accessible or, uh, or, or, or uh, you don't have 
then in that case you go after the default, which is the uh, which is um, well, what most of the rabbanim in Klal Yisrael do, right? In this particular arena, and if you don't know what the most of the rabbanim in Klal Yisrael do, then you get down to the Safik Torah, Chumrah, and Safik Torah which is the end of the chain. Okay, so there's a few stages in this process. I remember a number of years ago, I was, in, I was in, getting in, um, involved in trying to understand the Sheva controversy, right? So the Torah tells us that you can't use a razor. A man may not use a razor on his face. That's a blade, right? You're not allowed to cut here using a blade on four, four or five points of the, um, of the face as well. A lot of people don't even know this, but um, you're not allowed to do that. A, sha a, a shaver, generally speaking, might be all right because a shaver uses a scissors motion, right? So you have the film at the front and a rotating blade Right, or a vibrating blade, which the hair comes through the film and then is sliced. So that may be considered more of a scissor action. So then the question is, it becomes, what about our shavers today? And there are different opinions. So, if you, so as an example, if you go to Rav Heinemann of the Starcade in Baltimore, he believes, and I remember when I went to share on this topic, um, he, he believes, and he, what he'd do, he, he would pull out a strand of his beard hair, and he'd take the blade of a shaver, and he'd see if the blade of the, of the shaver underneath the film could cut it easily by itself, then he says it's not really a scissor action. It's essentially a blade, which just has a guard in front of it, so that would be a problematic shaver. If the blades are too sharp on the shaver, and there are... Um, there are others who, um, who say that no, all shavers are fine. The problem is lift and cut. Right? So if the lift and cut is there, which some people say doesn't actually work, but there's a second blade beneath it which pulls the hair, therefore slicing it actually a little closer to the root, right? That's the lasting shave and, uh, and so on. That would be more of a problem. That would be more like a, a, a razor. So there are many different opinions in Halacha. So I went to Rabbi Meir Twersky once and I said, Rabbi, I don't understand. If I want to do, in this particular case, if I wanted to know what shave I wanted to use, it depends who I would want to ask. <laughs> Right? So I could figure out what type of shave I want, and I could ask who I wanted, and then I would get the answer I needed because I'd done the research, right? So, um, so, he, so, so he said to me, he says, listen, I'll tell you a little secret. When you get up to Shemayim, they're not going to ask you what shave you used. They're going to ask you, were you a consistent Jew? And they're going to say, did you do all the things? Did you add up your, were your ducks in a line? Did you follow one line and one line trajectory? And were you true to that for the easy and the not so easy? And that's, and, that, and that's what he said. And, that, that, and that, that, that stuck with me in terms of this as well, which is part of what's being described over here. Hang on, just one last piece that I was going to close. I, I know this is so, so much. One, one last piece, and I think it's important just to, to emphasize this. Um, it comes back to actually one of my favorite stories. I've said this a number of times, but it's really important because it now moves into the next, the next, the, our next uh, and last segment. It, 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 uh, I've mentioned this recently, but it's, it's um, always, always resonates with me. So a, a DEA, DEA officer arrives at a particular farm. And, uh, and he's, he's coming for his, for, to, to check the, the premises, and he says to the farmer, he says, I'd like to, to examine your, your, uh, your, your fields. And the farmer says, with the greatest of pleasure, except don't examine the, farm, the, the, the field in the far left back. <laughs> <laughs> so the man, the man stands to his entire five foot four um, height and pulls out his wallet and he says, this is a badge. This is a badge issued by the federal government of the United States of America. And this badge allows me the authority to go where I want and do what I want. I says, well, okay, go ahead. You can do what you want. So off he goes, and the first place he goes is to the back left field. And there he goes, he's in the field, and he's examining the field. And um, as he looks up, he sees that there's a shape that is, uh, that is coming closer from the far end of the field. And there is a large male bull running at him at, uh, at full speed. And so he immediately, you know, drops his equipment, starts running for the fence. And he's running, but the bull's already uh, uh, in full motion, and he's not getting to the fence. And he's screaming, help me, help me. And the farmer's on the side, and he says, show him your badge. <laughs> right? <laughs> and the truth is, is that's where we are today. And we have to think to ourselves is that today there's been a shift. We notice that if you go back to the original realms of authority that we looked at originally, at least in Max Weber's, and there are many other sub-stratifications, uh, sub but in Max Weber's description of traditional um, authority, charismatic authority, and legal rational authority, I would say traditional authority to a large degree has been undermined in so many ways. Even legal rational authority has been undermined. Think back to the 1960s, to when, how could it be that the United States of America, the government would lie to its people? And it did, right? And then people say, well, really, do they really mean, are they for really for real? Does authority really make a difference? And questions become in religious leaders and the way that certain religious leaders, and unfortunately we see what they, whether it be financially, morally, sexually, on the front pages of papers, and you start saying to yourself, you know, is, there's, there's in a certain sense, we are now living in an anti-establishment, de-establishment time um, in the world, and for some of it for a good reason, because authority with our, with our checks and balances has led to terrible things. Right? And we are, on the, we are on the stage now where it, the authority itself has very little standing. 
Um, the only authority that maybe, that maybe exists today is charismatic authority. You have these fantastic, you know, influencers, we call them, um, who, who have all these followings, but they aren't really leaders. What they're just doing is they're pandering to a base that likes very broad statements about particular topics, essentially, right? And if you don't like what they say, then you'll unfollow them and just find somebody else who says what you like. So it's not really even leadership, if you think about it, right, just to be, to be honest. But charismatic leadership is the only space which really still exists in authority. Authority today needs to be earned, not as a, a, as a given. And for good reason, but also for negative reason today. And that means to say that affects the way that we also look at Torah authority as well, because that's seeped in to the way that our, um, our religious life works. And we say the same things, is why should I? Like, why, why should I submit? Why should I listen? Why should I make a decision when I personally disagree? And I think it's important that, that these questions are very important questions. But we need to come back to the fact that Judaism rests on authority. Can we improve authority? Can, is authority something which is earned in Judaism? Yes, it needs to be earned. But it's, there is an element where authority is not just what I want to do, not just my own intuition, where there has to be something else which is, which is, which is governing it. Otherwise, essentially, Judaism is my own version of my intuition and what I want, rather than what something God wants. And God gave it in a particular trajectory. We're trying to uphold that in a realm, in a world today, which is much more complex albeit with all the freckles and warts of, of the complexity of leadership it has today. And so Be'ezer this, this this sets us up to be able to enter into next week, which is the role of the rabbi, which is now, okay, so what, what do we do today? So how, do, how does this how does work today? Um, I apologize for cutting off a number of people. I apologize. Please come to me with questions. I don't want to keep everybody else. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, everybody.